Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a believer in the power of three things to make the world a better place. Using the unrelenting application of reason, have a basic sense of kindness, and an understanding of who we are. And that's that quote from E.O. Wilson. That's a, a wonderful quote. Yeah, yeah. A kind, sane economy, please. Yeah. <laughs> and that's part of what we're talking about today is kindness and sanity, right? Especially in the world of food and indigenous food. I'm Karen Olson-Johnson, author of a couple of books, along with my illustrious cat Gizmo, who I left home sleeping, sleeping in the sun. And isn't it good that we now have sunshine coming in, right? Doesn't it feel like spring is right around the corner? It does, it does, it does, right? It does to me, at least. Yeah. Yeah, and we are very, very honored to have in studio with us Sean Sherman. But guess what? The Blue State Ball. If right. if you are here yesterday, or if you are back tomorrow, or if you were here last week, or you're going to be here a month from now, <laughs> it depends upon where your time is at as to whether or not the Blue State Ball already happened, or it is happening, right? Right, yeah. right. So the Blue State, this, on Saturday is the Blue State Ball. There will be tickets at the door, so... Come to the Blue State Ball. If, if you're listening on Saturday and if you're listening on Sunday, it was a wonderful party, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> and it's at the Blaisdell, which is a wonderful venue. Um, so, again, we're very honored to have with, with us in studio Sean Sherman, the author of The Sous Chef's Indigenous Kitchen. Beth was with us before talking about savory sweets. So what a partnership that Beth makes. Beth is awesome. Yeah. And your cookbook got the best cookbook um, in 2017 by National Public Radio. You got some really good reviews yeah, out there. and dismissed. Sonian and LA Times and San Francisco Chronicle and Village Voice and a few others. Wow. Yeah, it's done really well. So indigenous foods, right? All around uh, us. Yeah, it's all around us, right? It's all around us. And this and this book obviously hit a hit a nerve. It hit a hit a spot, hit a sweet spot, hit a hit something in terms of our need and what it is that we were desiring in food. And so where did this come from, Sean? Well, you know, for me, it just came from growing up on Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota and, uh, you know, working uh, quite a few years as a chef around the city and then realizing that there was, you know, nothing out there on indigenous foods or the heritage foods, you know, finding foods from all over the world and nothing that showcased the history and the land and, you know, and the people that were here before um, and really just kind of driving to figure it all out. Um, And, you know, we've been doing this for a few years now. Um, and we've done a lot of events all over the world, and we've really helped, I believe, bring a lot of notice on indigenous foods um, and foodways and just this knowledge and this wisdom that sits no matter where you are. Yeah, it sits no matter where you are. Yeah. It's that who we are part of it. It really is. It's just a better understanding and connection to the land around us and kind of a blueprint of like how to think about rebuilding our foodways, utilizing all these plants around us and this knowledge of people that have been here forever. So. Cool. Beautiful cover, too. Thanks. Beautiful cover. And so I like this this quote. Why is an original indigenous diet all the rage today? It's hyper-local, ultra-seasonal, uber-healthy, no processed food, no sugar, no wheat or gluten, no dairy, uh, no high-cholesterol animal products. It's naturally low-glycemic, low high-protein, low-salt, plant-based with lots of grains and seeds and nuts. So it's kind of like trendy, this. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of happened to fall into good timing, too. You know, people were being really aware of where their foods were coming from. Um, you know, people were watching what they're eating. You know, the diet fads were kind of, you know, all over the place. And we were kind of crossing a lot of those lines. But we, I was just really looking at the diet of my ancestors, you know, the diet of my great-grandfather's era and what they were eating. And then really looking at the rest of the country, too, the rest of North America. You know, so we look at Turtle Island as a whole, and we just see all that diversity but you know all through that diversity seeing lots of commonalities and how people are treating food and it's amazing as a chef there's like so much that we can explore out there that's not explored um and it's also just bringing a lot of uh, revitalization of culture back to indigenous communities that really need it this is food culture right yeah yeah this identity yeah it's identity right because these foods that you're talking about that are a part of this book and a part of all of the recipes in this book are very dare I say, non-European, 
Right. Yeah. Right? We did our best to uh, decolonize it as much as possible. <laughs> and in that, there's a particular food culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so what is that culture? Can you describe it? Well, there's so many cultures. So, you know, if you look at North America through indigenous perspective as a whole, you see a lot of culture. There's 567 tribes in the U.S., 221 or so of those are all up in Alaska. Um, it's like 634 in, in Canada and um, almost a third, um, I actually, almost a fifth of Mexico is uh, identifies as, as indigenous and still speaks indigenous languages. So there's a lot of indigenous culture alive. Um, and if, when you look at it uh, in that context, you just see this mass amount of diversity everywhere, you know? So if you can picture a world where you can travel across even just the U.S. and stop at, um, you know, Native American restaurants, um, all, you know, as you traveled across, you would see how much diversity that we have, you know, through these indigenous foodways, you know, compared to like right now, we'll see the exact same food chain. So it's the same hamburgers, you know, the same Coca-Cola. And it's so <laughs> homogenized when you think about it. Right. When we have so much beauty right here around us and, um, you know, celebrating pl- plants that people have survived off of for millennia, you know, so there's so much to explore. And like I said, it's so exciting as a chef to be able to explore that and to gain so much knowledge. You know, it is... Um I, 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 there's so much I want to go to, and this always. But I, let's let's start off with your youngest experiences. <laughs> um, growing up on Pine Ridge, you know, some of my early experiences was just a lot of the foods that were um, looking backwards, looking at foods that were traditional, um, and obviously hadn't really been tainted that much um, through colonialism. So definitely, uh, like a sauce called wojapi that we utilized, um, and it was something that we would pick choke cherries for in the mid mid late summer um and you know my grandmother would make or or, you know or the moms or aunts they would make a big batch of this choke cherry sauce and that's been around for a long time now choke cherries we had a caller call in and he has uh, lots of just choke cherries and the birds get them and i've planted a couple choke cherry trees maybe three four years ago and we got so much fruit from them yeah they're very cool you know and so what okay so uh what should i be doing with my choke cherries other than fighting off the birds yeah right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they don't taste like much right off the tree you know because they have that huge pit and they can be really bitter and tannic sometimes but Mm -hmm. you know when you cook it down it's got such an amazing soft kind of dark aroma and it's something that's just really unique and it's just choke cherry so for me that's one of those smells that just always kind of whisk me back to being a kid in the kitchens you know Um, but yeah so you just slow cook it into a sauce we freeze them they freeze really well Um, a lot of people will just pound them pits and all um, right into and dry them out into patties and then you can Mm. you know throw those dried choke cherry patties and make a sauce out of that later or you know season a soup or broth or whatever sweet and savory yeah uh it's uh you know it's not super overtly sweet because you can add a little sweetener to it if you want it to be more sweet so we we usually add a little bit of maple pure maple to it just to sweeten it a touch um it can be tannic a little bit sometimes but this seems like the longer you cook it it kind of cooks out that that tannin a little bit um and but yeah it's just it's such a nice thick sauce when you cook it way down so it's really cool and I bet it would make good jam. Yeah, it makes awesome mm-hmm. jam. So you can find yeah. some choke cherry. I know Red Lake Nation sells food products, and they always have choke cherry jam and stuff like that for sale. There you go, yeah. right? So you were saying about being a kid growing up with these particular smells or foods. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Keep going. Um, another one was Timsala. So Timsala was something we had to find out in the plains. So they're liter- literally out there. So growing up on the reservation uh, on Pine Ridge, you know, the landscape is really different because they're kind of on the edge of the Badlands. And a large portion of, of, of Pine Ridge is in the Badlands, too. So it's really unique ter- territory, you know, because it's like uh, real sandy and it's really beautiful and stark, you know, and it gets really hot in summer and it's really barren in the winter. But, you know, as kids, we were just kind of wild. We were a little feral. Um, and we explored and we knew all these plants that were growing around because we were curious. And, you know, there's lots of cactus out there and, you know, there's lots of snakes out there and stuff like oh, that. Cool. So, you know, cool. One of the things you said in your book is that you guys were poor, but you didn't even know you were poor. Yeah, we didn't really think about it, I guess, you know, because <laughs> we were, you know, we lived we lived good and, uh, you know, it was good. You know, so it was, a, it was our childhood. So. <laughs> So is that where you think this birth of of connection to land and then connection to food was was started in you? You know, I think that was definitely a big part of it. And then looking back on my path, there was always little snippets here and there that kind of 
kept moving me down this path. So like right after high school, working for the Forest Service and learning all the plants in the Black Hills as part of my job because I would have to do a field survey and just go out to an exact location and do a survey of all the plants and trees and age everything and name everything that was in there. And utilizing some of that skill much later in life, you know, as I started to apply, you know, wild plants to the knowledge base of the culinary context I was utilizing. So, okay, so the childhood there, uh, fast forward to your 20s. How, how did you, how did this path form for you? Well, after um, so I started cooking in restaurants at a really young age just because we were poor and we were very latchkey kids, as it was kind of typical in the 80s anyways. I feel like a lot of my friends were too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my mom. The good old days. <laughs> my mom was great. You know, she was just really busy because she was going back to school, raising my sister and I, working three jobs. Um, she was doing a lot. Um, so, And it was a safe, small town that we were in after we moved off. A, well, once we moved off the reservation, we moved to a really small town called Spearfish, South Dakota, and it was just a real, you know, small town. It was nice. Uh, we rode our bikes everywhere, and again, like, we were a little bit wild, so we'd be riding up the canyon with 22 strapped to our backs, and, like, <laughs> you don't see kids doing that anymore, I guess, but that was the 80s, so. That was the 80s. <laughs> that was then. This is now, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but, you but know. But that 22 was in case you saw a rabbit, right? Or yeah, something, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we it, weren't we weren't doing anything bad with it because yeah. we were respectful with those, you know, we didn't consider them weapons. We considered them just like tools, you know, mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, we were very careful with them, I suppose, as much as a 13, 14-year-old kid could be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, starting to working in restaurants at that young age, at 13, are we, are we breaking? Yeah, yeah. we're going to go to break. Um, we are um, wonderfully, wonderfully pleased to have with us in studio Sean Sherman who's the author of The Sioux Chef's Indigenous Kitchen look at this book isn't this gorgeous you know <laughs> so come back after break and we're going to continue this, the discussion about the particulars of indigenous foods sure yeah yeah thank you Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. Did you know that tooth decay is the most common disease in America and that over half the American population has some form of periodontal disease? Simply brushing and flossing don't seem to be enough. The abundant bacteria in your mouth thrive off sugar to produce acid and plaque. But what if you could actually prevent bacteria from converting sugar into the harmful byproducts responsible for tooth decay and periodontal disease? Daily Dental Care is a life sciences company that leverages our microbiology expertise to create oral care products that promote strong teeth, healthy gums, and fresh breath. Our lozenges safely and effectively neutralize harmful bacteria and their disease-causing byproducts like acid and plaque without harming health-promoting bacteria that guard your mouth against the destruction that sugar causes. Supplement your daily dental hygiene routine with our convenient dental lozenges. Go to dailydentalcareswithans.com or Amazon to purchase and use promo code DDC95001 at checkout for a 25% discount on your first purchase. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Daily dental care lozenges are not intended to replace daily dental hygiene practices. Looking for a catering company that serves delicious food and is environmentally conscious? Look no further than Common Roots Catering. They provide compostable or reusable service wares for all events and food waste is composted. Common Roots is also proud to source from sustainable local farmers. And when Common Roots says local, they mean it. Only free-range and grass-fed meat and poultry raised within 250 miles of their kitchen is served. To learn more about Common Roots Catering and their values, check out commonrootscatering.com. Spur your imagination at Stages Theatre Company with the steampunk dance-inspired musical, The Nightingale. You will be charmed by the reimagining of Hans Christian Andersen's classic fairy tale as a whirlwind of mayhem when a watchmaker's mechanical bird creates a frenzy in the Mayor's Festival of Progress. A delightfully contagious tune turns into a comical clatter as they yearn for the original Nightingale's songs of natural beauty. Enjoy the journey as the town learns to find balance between technological progress and the healing music of the real Nightingale. 
This world premiere musical is told through original music and is the sixth collaboration with Escalate Dance. It features ballet, tap, jazz, contemporary, and folk-centric dancing and choreography. The Nightingale runs March 9th to the 25th and will be loved by all ages. For ticket information, visit stagestheater.org. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. I'm Karen Olson-Johnson with Laura Hedlund. And joining us in studio is the author of this beautiful book, Sean Sherman, called The Sous Chef's Indigenous Kitchen, authored with Beth Dooley, who's a good Food Freedom Radio friend. Um, and this is, you know, I'm looking at the way this was structured, too. Are we, maybe we can talk four directions yeah. at some time, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> beautiful book, Sean. Thanks. And so um, the first break, we were talking about your childhood growing up. And mm-hmm. then talk about those years in the kitchen. Yeah, so, you know, a uh, restaurant career my whole life. So starting when I was just 13, working in steakhouses and things like that in the Black Hills. And uh, all through high school career, all through college, and then post-college moving to Minneapolis and then jumping right back into um, the restaurants. You know, so I was at uh, Broder's Pasta Bar for a few years when I first moved to Minneapolis in the late 90s. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I didn't even really know that chef was going to be my career back then because it was just the job that I was good at and it was paying the bills and allowing me to learn and it was moving forward but when I got my first executive chef position which was at a restaurant in Uptown on Lake and Lindale called La Bodega and it was the first Spanish tapas bar not topless but tapas (laughs) 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 Um, and that was wild Uh, and uh, you know eventually I worked with French Meadow and I you know moved around as as cooks and chefs do they transition into other things and I learned a lot um, you know being a part of that local organic scene in the early 2000s was a lot of fun and you know just exploring um, just a lot of food and flavor and meeting a lot of people around the cities and being a part of it so but yeah it gets to be a lot of hard work and some of those jobs working you know over 100 hours a week doing multiple projects all at the same time and trying to you know keep costs in line and all of these systems things you're working with constantly so it's more than just creating food like there's a lot of work that goes <laughs> that's involved with it and just managing your staff you know you're constantly herding cats so it's kind of like you know orchestrating chaos constantly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and so because you tell the story in your book and so um, you decided that you just needed to drop off a little bit so just tell us about that experience yeah so after kind of almost burning out from one particular job that was really rough um, and just working way too much um, I took that break because like all right this job's over I'm gonna try to figure out what I'm gonna do next but I'm just gonna like relax so I bought a one-way ticket down to Mexico had a backpack and a guitar and that's pretty much all I brought with me <laughs> and just wanted to uh, sit on the beach and read books and think about the next move you know and that's kind of where I kind of had my epiphany moment of moving forward with the work that I'm doing right now and you know I'd had I'd actually worked on an indigenous menu way back in 2004 um, for a proposal for the Minnesota Historical Society um, with one of the large uh, groups, uh, food service groups back then, but it didn't go through, which is interesting. And I'd almost forgotten about that. And then, but it was really in Mexico when I had the full vision of seeing like the path of how to do it and where to go and what to learn and realize the need for it, you know, like why just seeing that it wasn't anywhere, like nobody was, there was very few people working. I wouldn't say nobody, but there was very few people working on it and I just had this clear vision of how I wanted to do it to kind of retain the authenticity and I knew I didn't know anything about it I knew I had a long a lot to learn and a long path to go so I just started learning right there at that point it took me a few years from that point to the point where I actually um, started working for myself under my own business you know and that was all on a whim too because at that time I still didn't have any money I had like three thousand dollars when I started the sous chef and that was it you know and just a huge vision of what I wanted to do. And as a result of that, there are so many things that have that have come from that. You know, the sous chef, obviously, Tatanka truck, this book, you know. The, Which is uh, considered the best book by National Public Radio <laughs> of 2017. Yeah, this book, people. This book, okay. Um, and, and, and upcoming restaurants. Yeah, two, I, two. I was, two of, I was one of your... 
one of your. Uh, thank yeah, you. I think I'm on the wall. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had yeah. a lot of people. We did. That was a really successful campaign. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most successful Kickstarters yeah. in all in all of Kickstarter For history. Restaurants, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So Bing, 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 Bing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and the, you know I yeah, I'm a, not a believer in coincidence. I mean I think that things you know happen for a reason, right? Right. But, so there you go. Where are you at right now, Sean? Well, our biggest thing is that we just released our nonprofit that we'd been working on for quite a while. So um, Dana Thompson and I, you know, had been running the sous chef for a long time, and we started working on uh, this nonprofit called Natives or North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems. And we have this huge vision that we want to go through, but we're really excited that we got this 501c3 status official from the IRS because it was a lot of work because it was really tricky. <laughs> and it's in it's in the book, but also again natfis dot org for yep. people that natives. want more. org yeah yeah natives nate fis natives natives yeah like yeah. native yeah it's actually okay. a french term so it actually makes oh, sense is it? another language oh, but, yeah. okay okay <laughs> another Dot colonial org. language yeah for more information about it but there's a wonderful wonderful section about it in the book can you explain it yeah so the nonprofit vision is that we are right now at this point in time trying to secure a building here in the minneapolis st paul area that'll be the heart of the nonprofit. Um, it's going to be under a brand called the indigenous food lab and the indigenous food lab is going to be a restaurant and a culinary training a kitchen, like kind of like a classroom kitchen, because we wanted a place where we can teach about um, all these facets of indigenous food systems and food ways. So Native American agriculture with all the stuff that goes into that, like seed saving and soil management and agricultural technique and history, um, wild foods and ethnobotany and plant identification and usage, um, cooking techniques, food preservation techniques. And we developed, you know, we're developing curriculum to kind of showcase like how intricate, you know, understanding an indigenous food way is. Like there's a lot that goes into it. Well, there's a lot to go into it. I showed you this. Um, this is this <coughs> list from the Native American Gardens, mm-hmm. and it is um, of different plants that they have seeds right? from. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking, what, 500? Oh, yeah. So, uh, whatever. It's, it's, it's a very extensive list. Um, and it changes wherever you go because it it's all about your landscape and where you're at and the terroir and the, all of that, you know. And then you add the indigenous wisdom and culture to that, and then you know you just see that diversity right there. Yeah, I really wanted to go back to what you experienced in Mexico because I think that's really the heart of this journey. When you when you glimpse something, sure. You want to talk about that? I think that um, you know Mexico is an amazing place to go if you want to study indigenous culture because um, I think Mexico and Alaska because both those areas were. Really, um, the indigenous communities were really left um, to be able to do what they've done for so long. And there's still a lot of indigenous foodways alive on, in those regions, and especially in Mexico. So there's still a lot of indigenous villages that are still very much doing a lot of the same things. You know, they're grinding things with handmade tools. They're growing these ancient corns and beans and chilies. They're utilizing insects. They're, and you look at it, and it's way more indigenous than it is colonial. So it's not French or Spanish or Italian or any of that kind of mix. It's definitely like you know from there so for me like it was just having that epiphany of seeing it and I saw it through the group that was at the small town where I was at because they were selling goods and wares and I just started reading more about them and they were called the Weechels and um, we were just down there in Mexico in December and we did a dinner with the Weechels um, it was a lot of fun and we explored you know just indigenous Nayarit coastline you know which was mm-hmm. really cool um, but you know so much knowledge to learn um, learn from down there um, so you look at the Nixmalized corn and you look at uh, the usage of everything from the ocean if you're near the ocean and like all of these foodways so it's really exciting and mexico is really where i just saw it in real time and i was able to like well this uh, and, and seeing the effects of what colonialism did to indigenous peoples in in the united states and canada especially like w- the status of where we're in and like, like this perpetual oppression that we've been stuck in you know and finding this path that we can actually break through that so mm-hmm. well and that's why i i i i think you really saw something that was alive yeah in that moment and and there's so much hope in us being able to reclaim that well there's a lot of work there too a lot of work but if we can see it then we can yeah then we can then it helps to reclaim it Uh, yeah i think bringing food to be the center of things again is the most important part you know we didn't need monies to survive with food so there's a lot we can do to move forward because food was obviously sustenance. It was but everybody's job. You're medicine, growing, you're collecting. Like, yeah, yeah. It was everything. Yeah, it was, it was everything. everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Come 
Common Roots Cafe is the perfect spot for the whole family to get delicious local and organic food. They have a great kids menu equipped with games and coloring while parents can enjoy a great local beer, wine, or specialty cocktail. It's never been a fad or a marketing ploy to make everything from scratch with local and organic ingredients. It's always been an unwavering commitment. If they can buy it local and organic or get it from their on-site garden, they will. Common Roots is located off 26th and Lindale and online at commonrootscafe.com. Six years ago, Dr. Emily Stein was confronted with a life-changing situation. Her grandmother developed rheumatoid arthritis and was unable to maintain her own dental hygiene. Unfortunately, her assisted living facility didn't have the resources to help her maintain her dental health either. Once her dental health deteriorated, her overall health deteriorated too. It wasn't long until she had multiple tooth extractions and a severe stroke. That's when Emily put her Stanford background in microbiology and immunology to work. She created an oral care lozenge, or Smart Mint, that manages oral bacteria to promote strong teeth, healthy gums, and fresh breath. Daily Dental Care is a life sciences company dedicated to addressing public health by targeting the root cause of dental disease. Because let's face it, we all could use a little extra help supplementing our daily dental care routine. Visit dailydentalcareswithans.com or go to Amazon to purchase our lozenges and use promo code DDC95502 for a 25% discount on your first purchase. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Daily Dental Care lozenges are not intended to replace daily dental hygiene practices. Leading a healthy lifestyle can help reduce your risk of breast cancer and other illnesses. Staying active while maintaining a healthy weight through a balanced diet is a good place to start. A message courtesy of the folks who care at Home Depot, reminding you that Minneapolis is a great place to live, and they're doing their part to keep it that way. That's Home Depot, on the air working for a healthier and better community for you and your entire family. It may seem odd to be thinking about air conditioners in Minnesota in March, but it is better than waiting until the middle of July when you can fry a steak on your sidewalk. Fortunately, Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is offering $1,000 or more off high-efficiency air conditioners until March 30th. Save money and spend the summer in cool and relaxing comfort. Visit standardheating.com for details and come visit us at the Minneapolis Home and Garden Show. Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, the comfort you deserve. Hi, this is Paul Metz inviting you to listen to the Wall of Power Radio Hour every weekend on AM 950. We are now in our third year of broadcasting on the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Min Post has called us one of the 22 most independently entertaining and cool radio shows in the Twin Cities. We feature cool people from all walks of life and from all 50 states. Every Saturday at 6 p.m., replayed Sunday at 4 p.m. on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Why must the world be so cold? They've gone against what was told. Thinking rape is cool? Think about it. They think it's not wrong. Violence against women? The rape? The abuse? The emotional? Physical? They all hold the hate. Think about it. Is it right or wrong? What attracts you? I'm not saying no names, but you laugh. Talk about it like nothing is wrong? Think about it. They all hold the hate? Gotta stop the violence. Stop the hate? Think about it. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. All of us want to make a difference. As veterans, we committed to protect our country. We served and sacrificed for the things that mattered most. Those experiences shaped our lives. Now we're husbands, wives, parents, and friends. And sometimes we forget that the biggest challenge can be asking for support. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for veterans. Dial 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. It matters. seeds of change we are taped because tonight if you're listening on saturday is the blue state ball there will be tickets at the door um and on sunday it was a great party if you're listening yeah. on sunday <laughs> um, but we're very honored to have in studio with us the sous chef um uh, sean uh, sherman whose book cookbook got named uh the best cookbook in 2017 by national public radio and we would be remiss if we didn't go into the book a little bit, right, and talk about some particulars. This whole section, look at that picture. There's mm-hmm. a person. That's Tashia. 
Tachia Hart. Yes. Okay. What's Tachia Hart? Uh, she, I hired her to be our um, uh, official ethnobotanist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ooh. So she's recently moved up to Duluth, but uh, yeah, she was a great part of the team. So there's this beautiful picture of Tachia in the woods, okay, and this section about wild greens, right? And this first line we've become so accustomed to ridding our gardens and lawns of dandelion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, with all of those pesticides and all of yeah. that. But look at this page. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> wild greens glossary. All these things you can find. Can we find them in the urban core, Sean? Oh yeah, especially those ones. Um, okay, <laughs> and we really tried to write this book as just an eye opener, as all you know, like a one hundred and one. So we just wanted people to think about, like, get to know the names of the plants around you. You know, be curious. Mm-hmm. Like we always tease people when we go to some of these events. I'm doing these talks, and I'll say, you know, it's unfortunate that our kids can name more Kardashians than they can tree species. Who's <gasps> Kardashian? <laughs> right? about that. I no See? Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah Hello. Yeah. yeah, that's true. It's true. Yeah. So we need to. Be be t- teaching like some simple botany you know we should know the difference between plants that are out there because a lot of them we can utilize for all sorts of stuff all of them they have all a purpose like so, there's no wor- there's no need for a, a word weed you know we don't need to that word it doesn't make any sense it's lazy is what it is right well it's actually a, probably a colonial it's very word. colonial it's, it's, yeah it's a very like, colonial don't worry world. about that plant that's, un- that's, weed, uh, that's unimportant weed. yeah exactly yeah. You're right. Yeah, don't use it. No, use the word weed. Learn the name. Weeding the word weed. I'm going to digress just slightly. Did you hear the story about the couple in California that were forced to remove their vegetable garden from their front yard? I don't think so. Oh, yeah. They were forced to do it because the neighbors objected. Oh, because of the lawn situation? Mm -hmm. They wanted Kentucky bluegrass or whatever. Right. Whatever doesn't grow there naturally. Yeah, whatever doesn't grow there naturally. So can we find these around us, Sean? Oh, yeah, easily. We're not at this moment because we're still (laughs) under some snow. But, yeah, if you dig under the snow, you can. Okay. Well, and this is something I've actually – I've now done for well over 10 years in my own yard. I have so many wild greens growing. Some of them we can um, – so uh, for me, like mint is – it's an evasive. If it grows like a yeah, blank. It's everywhere, yeah. It's everywhere. And but you do a lot with mint. Oh yeah. There's all sorts of uses. I mean, like again, just getting to know the plants. They all have a use. You know, it's not only food, it's medicinal. You can make dyes out of it, you can turn them into ropes or clothing. You do all sorts of stuff with them. So, so talk about some of the um some of the common greens that and how we could eat them. Well, those ones are you see all around us, like right there in that glossary. So amaranth, you see that growing all over the place. It has many uses, especially with the seeds. Yeah, the chickweed is all over, it's great in salads, you know, even clovers and dandelions, which we see all over, the whole things are the entire thing is edible, you know, and tasty and full of vitamins. Um, and there's just all sorts of great stuff that's out there. Purslane people like battle with purslane in their lawns yeah. and everything constantly, and it's like great. Like especially mm-hmm. when it's young and tender, it's like almost lemony, you know. It's really great stuff, you know. So Loaded with vitamins and minerals. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. really good. And and then um, with the uh, mustard greens that are terribly invasive, mm-hmm. but um, so we can. I know Dakota County is looking for volunteers. Volunteers. You can go on Dakota County's uh, park website. They're looking for volunteers, and they'll train you on how to pick it and recognize it because it's really uh, bad for uh, our, our ecosystems, but it's really tasty. Have, have you done much with that? Yeah. So, I mean, again, they all have uses. So, like, when we're out gathering stuff, especially wild greens, especially, like, teaching the kids how to identify and gather them. So you give the kids a basket, and you're walking around some of the, you know, the, the trails and things, and you get a free salad at the end of the day, you know, like a whole <laughs> a big mixed green salad of all sorts of cool stuff. So, um, and it's just, you know, giving them some basic, you know, tools to utilize in life, you know, and knowing which ones you shouldn't touch. You know, obviously you don't want to be eating a poison ivy salad, so. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a reason you would forage at dusk? Uh, challenge. Oh, like challenging. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, just uh, something we were out, you know, basically is we're just trying to utilize every bit of the day and run, okay. ran out there. That picture was in North Dakota. We did a, uh, a food retreat there at the Katota uh, Prairie Lodge. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I love this. Watercress pairs perfectly with trout. You know, and that, oh, you could go oh, to so a restaurant. so much watercress. That's going to be coming out any time now. Any time now. Yeah. yeah. And you could go to a restaurant and pay a lot for that, couldn't you? Yeah. And then like all down the St. Croix River. There's a whole bunch of spots where that stuff just flourishes. So, Well, 
This is, again, we're talking with Sean Sherman, the Shoe Chef's Indigenous Kitchen, this beautiful book. I want you just to talk a little bit about this, the four, okay? Yeah, so we had been utilizing the medicine wheel in the four directions um, as part of our, you know, as part of our brand um, since the beginning. And it just made sense to us to utilize that in a different perspective. And some people, I don't even know if we're going to catch it, that it was the same medicine wheel that's in the Sous Chef, you know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and we just chose to, you know, have that there and plan. You know, we chose plants with agriculture and wild plants and berries and some of these dried herbs. And, you know, it was just, it really fell together nicely as we kind of knew it would. But we were really happy with the way the cover worked. Yeah, it's beautiful. Actually, beautiful. And at the end of the book, you have these feasts for different moons and uh, Feast of the Sorcerer and the Eagle, uh, Feast of the Great Spirit Mood, and. also uh, choke cherry. So tell us about these feast dinners. Yeah, well, we had been doing so many pop-up dinners over the past few years, um, and each of them different and unique and celebrating different things, and we just wanted to showcase, like, taking all of that knowledge in the book and being able to apply it into something, you know? So it was kind of just really showcasing in real time, like, how we've utilized a lot of that, um, a lot of those kind of recipes and how we've played with them and been creative with them. And constantly growing and learning and how to utilize them and just, you know, showcasing our own creativity. Because the moon is part of, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a celebration, right? Yeah. When the I full mean, moon you, shows it's up. A, it's a point in time where, yeah. you know, everything was logged. Uh, so people had, you know, there's different names for different moons. So, you know, it's a choke cherry moon or, you know, it's the moon when the ice is cracking and things like that. And it's very seasonal. You know, it's all about season and food. And it's usually surrounded by, by something to do with food or weather. Um, and, you know, it's important to, to learn some of the moon names and understand, like, that's what that's what was guiding us before, you know, so... It's a marker. Yeah, right? it's definitely a marker. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, can I ask? You, I mean, this is a question, and I, I've, because of my connections with other um, people and working on programs like the Women's Congress, and in, you know, having an Indigenous grandmother circle at the at the last Women's Congress. There's the question I have is reflect on this, Sean. The difference between living with Mother Earth and living on Mother Earth. Yeah, well, we really just look at how indigenous communities around the world have treated their own environment, and it's by being connected to it and knowing that you're a part of the balance, that you're taking care of it. When you compare it to the colonial mindset that was really, like, most of it was coming out of Europe, and it was, you know, if you look at just the definition of colonialism, it's all about, you know, placing settlers and taking resources and things like that from other regions. Um, And, you know, a lot of those resources that the um, colonialist uh, people were taking weren't even important to the indigenous peoples because like oh, great we're sitting on a diamond mine but we don't you know what's more important is our food and our culture and our people mm-hmm. and our health and the environment you know and not to rip up entire mountainsides to get at a certain mineral you know for the benefit of somebody hundreds and thousands of miles away like you know what I mean thousands of miles away right so just understanding that indigenous people share that value of really respecting the earth because it's so life-giving and we are a part of that balance you know and we should be a part of that balance instead of trying to pretend that we can manipulate it any way we want to without any ramifications at all and why it's important for indigenous peoples to stand up for the environment because we've all been we've always been stewards of our landscapes you know and seeing battles lost like bears ears or the pipelines you know it's really tough because all we want to do is you know preserve this for the future generations because it's such short-sighted you know, colonial mindset to think that you just rip up the stuff and who's even going to see that profit, you know? You destroy these natural beauties that have been there for millennia and we've been utilizing these areas for food and for medicine for so long. We have to stand up and we have to protect those things. I mean, have you guys seen that map of what's left of Bear's Ears after they've cut it all up? I know. And giving it it away to uranium and whoever else. The the zombie billionaires, that's my nickname. Exactly, right? I mean, it's the zombie billionaires that dominate the And those fights aren't over. Like, we can still stand up. We can have voices. Like, you know, we have to, uh, they have to showcase, like, why those are important, you know? Well, and one of the things I think we can do, and it's it's the first foundation, is removal of colonialized thought. Yeah. And how we have that alive in us. I mean. 
And it's hard. You have to, because we were born with it. And even when we started the sous chef, we were, you know, in the beginning, we were trying to do recipes that were very uh, European in style. You know, we're following these things like making cornbread with these very specific ratios, but trying to substitute. And then we realized, like, we didn't have to do that. Like, we just threw all that education out the door, literally, and started relearning it from the ground up and letting the food and the plants kind of show us the way, you know. So being able to make wild rice bread out of just wild rice, you know, we found easy ways that people were manipulating food with very simple manners, you know, and it's more healthy and it's cleaner and you taste it better and, you know, everything just feels better when you eat like that too. So it is, but it is pr- important to kind of decolonize your thought process and so think talk, about that. Let's talk more about that because, I mean, sure. personally, I love, I'm really happy that the shape of water got best picture right. because, <laughs> because I think that's what the shape of water is about. Did, have you seen the movie? Yeah, I just watched it on the plane a couple of days ago. Okay, so yeah. I, I, we haven't, do you think it's about the colonizing ourselves? Do you have that interpretation? You know, my first thought, because I'd seen something on Facebook that's, that's like showcase comparing it to the movie Splash, and I, that's all I kept thinking about the whole movie. It's like, well, this is kind of like Splash. I don't even know what Splash is. <laughs> it was with Tom Hanks and oh, Daryl Hannah. She was yeah, a mermaid in the 80s. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, okay. Anyways. Not. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but I think, but I think I, 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 so I think in that movie, I mean, the bad guy is the, you know, he's... Oh, this, yeah, the government control, you know, fascist, whatever you want to, whatever you want to label it, for sure um and just not understanding a different culture a different being a different whatever yeah so there's definitely those lines in there and you know the same with black panther you know that's another great movie Mm -hmm. that's out that's really um you know kind of digging in deep to understanding you know something that's not colonized thought right i love it not colonized thought and also not your thought yeah (laughs) it's this notion of can you get outside of yourself and move into something else and realize that that something else is valuable and equally valuable. But, yeah, there's so much wisdom because if you think about indigenous knowledge, it's thousands of generations of knowledge that was passed down generation upon generation upon generation compared to this colonial mindset of just like, okay, you guys live here, grow your farms, you know, don't worry about what the indigenous people did there for thousands of years before you or even pretend that you can even pretend they didn't exist if you wanted to, you know, which is like our history books, right? Because there's a lot of history books I was oh. just seeing that will say stuff like, oh, and then the, the Native American people... Yeah, kept moving westward to make room for the settlers. Just kept moving. Yeah, yeah. There's, an in, there's great history books out there. Um, the indigenous people's history. I should have that. I, uh-huh. I bought it. But um, yeah. And uh, do you want to briefly talk? Oh, we have, yeah, break. we have to go to a break. But when we come back, <laughs> we have a lot left to talk about. We want to talk about your nonprofit a little bit more. Sure. Maybe give us some food. Yeah. This is Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. Karen Olson-Johnson, Laura Hedlund, and Sean Sherman, the author of The Sous Chef's Indigenous Kitchen, is our guest. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ambibulous. What does Ambibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Ambibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections, where you can build your own four- or six-packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at ambibulousmn.com. Downtowner Woodfire Grill in St. Paul is a perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Offering daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meats, exquisite pizza, and half-priced bottles of wine on Mondays and Tuesdays, except on Excel Energy Center event nights. Once you experience their cozy fireside dining, extensive wine list, and bar, you'll be back for more. Gift certificates available, located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking, or online at downtownerwoodfire.com. Saturdays at 1 p.m., you have a chance at a fresh start, a new beginning. Hi, everybody. This is Freddie Bell, host of New Beginnings. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, spirituality, and even entertainment. Every day is a chance for a fresh start. Join us Saturdays at 1 p.m. for New Beginnings with Freddie Bell on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at Seward.coop. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. I'm Karen Olson-Johnson with Laura Hedlund. And Sean Sherman, the author of The Sous Chef's Indigenous Kitchen, is joining us. We're on our last segment, and we would be remiss if we did not um, talk about the website and people who are, you know, they'll look at this book and say, but where do I get those ingredients? <laughs> well, right. the ingredients you can't find right outside your door <laughs> <laughs> or your backyard. Um, you know, uh, on our website at sue-chef.com, so S-I-O-U-X-Chef.com. Um, there is a, uh, a page on there that showcases um, some places where you can order some indigenous foods online. Um, we're trying to put as many online indigenous vendors up there as possible, people who are selling indigenous foods, and that list will continue to grow over time. So there are some uh, some resources there to find online. And Native Harvest, <laughs> well, no, Leduc's Native Harvest yeah. has been a, a real leader in this area. Exactly, yeah, for sure. So we wanted to make sure you had plenty of time to talk about your nonprofit because it is so exciting. Thanks. This is really thrilling. We're really excited about it. So, you know, like I had mentioned before, um, creating this brand called the Indigenous Food Lab. So the nonprofit is natives.org, or which stands for North American Traditional Indigenous Food System. So Indigenous Food Lab will be the place where we'll have a restaurant and a training center to teach about the indigenous foodways. And the restaurant itself we're utilizing as a training center to build skills to have people come in and work alongside us so we can work with these foods um, in real time. And we just feel like on-the-job training is very valu- valuable, um, which is how we we were able to write a restaurant underneath a nonprofit, um, which was really tricky, and I had to argue with the IRS a lot to make that happen because <laughs> they're just like, "There's no way you're going to put a restaurant under the nonprofit." But it's like, "Well, actually, we have to." So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, but the second phase of the nonprofit is working with the tribal communities around us um, and helping them to develop their own indigenous food business directly within their community, so there is food access. Because the two main goals for our nonprofit is indigenous food access and indigenous culinary education because we want to be able to create that. So the Indigenous Food Lab in the city um, will be here for the training and education and then creating the satellites, which will be the indigenous food restaurants on the tribal communities to create access to those communities that really need some healthy food. And then the final stage is to replicate that and to start opening up indigenous food labs all across the country and then satelliting around those ones to create more indigenous food businesses on tribal communities. So eventually um, we will see that vision of being able to travel across North America, stopping at Native American restaurants and seeing that diversity um, and solidifying and creating a network of indigenous communities everywhere through food. Um, so it's really going to... Through gonna, food. Through food, yeah. yeah. When you hear the word, Sean, because I just... I, when you hear the word fry bread, what, what does it say to you? Uh, you know, I just don't really have any interest. 
I grew up yeah. with it, and I like it. I don't remember the last time I had it, but it just doesn't it doesn't look that good to me, especially because we have done so much more. And people are going to do fry bread, and it's great. It's, but you know, we were focused on healthy indigenous foods and looking at there's all of this knowledge that could that's so much more fun and interesting than just using you know the sweet flour and you're frying yeah. it. It's kind of everything that's bad, you know. Unfortunately, it just tastes good and it's integrated into a lot of the cultures. But there's no reason why fry bread should be the identifier for all tribes across the U.S. and Canada yeah. and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, we have too much know. diversity. It's mm-hmm. it's silly that you know that we use that as something that identifies us. So. And again, this original indigenous diet, hyper local, ultra seasonal, uh, uber healthy, no processed food, no sugar, no wheat, no dairy. This this is the original gluten free, okay, yeah, dairy diet. free, sugar free, soy free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. South Beach. Yeah. So, so people can buy if people buy your book, what will they, they'll hear a little bit about your story and a little bit about your nonprofit, but also tons and tons of recipes. So yeah, how to actually we just make try to make it fun, life. and you know, um, Beth was so great to work with, and she's done so many other books, and um, she really helped bring a lot of this to life. And you know, we're so grateful that we have it because we're really hoping to utilize it as a as a training tool like a you know an educational piece like we were just at upper sioux agency a few weeks ago and we were able to give every single household up there a copy of the book you know which was a lot of fun you know to just try to get people uh this textbook that has over 100 recipes using only indigenous ingredients right who did the photos? Well, it's a mix. Some of them came right off of my iPhone, and some of them we had some <laughs> pro- uh, professional photographers. Nancy Bunt was on there, and Heidi Ehalt, and we had a, a few people, and Meta um, Nielsen. Um, so we had uh, quite a few people working on it with different aspects. So we had a lot of fun with the photography because we've done a lot over the past few years, and there was a lot of pretty pictures to use. What is this right here? That's uh, it's a wild berry sorbet. A wild berry sorbet. Yeah, so there you go. Making those cookies out of you know mostly just like... Uh, sunflower seeds and honey you know things like that so using two ingredients to make honey or to make a cookie and some of those recipes so there's a lot of fun stuff we've done yeah three minutes what is your idea of food freedom i think people really need to connect with the indigenous wisdom of wherever they're standing and realize that no matter where you are especially in the u.s and canada that you're standing on indigenous land and there's history and wisdom sitting there and really understanding that there's a better way to understand the plants around you um, and utilizing that knowledge to create a better community in general that is more sustainable um, to the plants that we eat the diversity of the plants that we eat respecting the knowledge that was there um, and just collaborating and connecting with it too um, and you know breaking uh, indigenous communities out of this forced oppression that's been sitting on us for so long um, it's you know obviously not fair <laughs> and it's uh, silly that some of these communities um, struggle so much around food when we're surrounded by food you know we just lost our ways because we were you know forced on this colonial diet and especially with commodity food systems you know and we, we, we can break through through with that we can create community gardens utilizing indigenous um, heirloom Native American seeds we can you know landscape with purpose and just put food everywhere you know it could just be you know that's the permaculture design thing it's just like putting food all over the place and we could create food and just create health and regain culture and identity you know through all this through all these ways or we could not or we could, <laughs> i suppose if you want to take that path some people will take that path is, but, is there a, a piece of this that that we're we can really tap into is that's important in the, this understanding is food is medicine. Yeah, it is. And it's, again, it's just understanding that there's many uses to all of these plants, you know, um, and it was getting to know them. And that's why it's important to understand how indigenous people were utilizing everything and the knowledge that they have because it was passed down for so long. And we've been living with these plants. They're like our ancestors. I mean, our grandparents were utilizing these same plants. You is know? it spiritual medicine definitely, too? Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely spiritual. It's, it's you know, so it's all-encompassing. And it's a, as Laura was reading that quote, it's a beautiful way to live that is, you know, outside of the norm of our understanding of how it is that we live in this culture, you know, so there, there are things that, that we can be, we can be more aware of, right? And so part of this is, is increasing our, our awareness, right, Sean? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and you've been beautiful at it and such a soft, kind, gentle soul doing oh, this thanks. work. Yeah, well, yeah. we really enjoy that. Uh, we're, we're excited that we're with a nonprofit. We're going to be able to grow our team more and more and bring uh, more awesome people on board with us to help us take over the world with indigenous food. You have a Ooh, great listen, team. Take over the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah, take over the world. It. That's, like, yeah, that's kind of like, maybe, maybe we need a little colonial thought in this. <laughs> <laughs> just a touch of it. Just like a little, let's take over we're, the world. We're gonna, yeah. Well, we're going to decolonize the world. <laughs> 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 dec
colonizer. That. I love it. Love it. Okay. Uh, contact information for people. Again, for yep, people so they can go to the website. Our website is sue-chef.com. That's S-I-O-U-X-chef.com. Or check out the nonprofit. If people want to donate to our nonprofit, then great. It's on natives.org, N-A-T-I-F-S.org. And they can find you on Facebook because Saturday's your birthday. It is my birthday. Yeah, that's true. 44. And they can donate in honor of your birthday to the nonprofit. Why not? Yeah, Why not? It. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio and if you're listening on Saturday, go to the Blue State Ball tonight. <laughs>